We are not six months into the COVID-19 pandemic. We are able to look back on what has occurred with more clarity and understanding. Along with this hindsight, we see how local governments impacted or failed to impact the COVID-19 response. In this episode, I'll be joined by the fabulous Victoria Blackman from the Contagious Victories podcast as we discuss the local politics around the country in regards to the COVID-19 pandemic. This episode is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Enhance your digital security today by going to expressvpn.com slash messer. That is expressvpn.com slash M-E-S-S-E-R and get almost 50% off a yearly subscription. That's expressvpn.com slash messer. Victoria, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, just so everyone understands maybe a little bit of a background here, uh, Victoria and I, we both went to the same college, mm-hmm. and uh, we met there through a mutual friend of ours, DJ. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, absolutely, um, DJ Parton. Yeah, so and if I remember correctly, that you were, at the time, you're the president of the of the Yao Campus Organization, Young Americans for Liberty. Is that correct? Well, technically, when DJ was there, I was vice president. So um, when he <laughs> left, I kind of automatically, you know, became president as you know as it happens but um i do think that he deserves that official title um but yeah i loved being a part of Yao, and there it was good times being back at south indeed indeed uh so of course now we've gone our separate ways uh Mm -hmm. but uh even that we've been friends on facebook so i guess since then and every now and then i'll see you post something i'm like you know what we really do have a lot in common politically when you think about it Uh, right yeah and uh, I know like, um, whenever I think back about South and stuff, you know, didn't you help run DJ's campaign when he was running for like SGA president? That's how I really, that was my first impression of you. That's how I really knew Yes. You. Yeah, I did. So that's, oh man, that gets to a lot. Um, yeah, I did run his uh, presidential campaign. I mean, I didn't during... mean to bring up bad times or anything. I just, no, that, it's not bad. That was not my bad first at all. big impression of you. <laughs> Uh, a lot of bad things happened during that period of time, but it was not not me. So oh. good. Um, but yeah, for sure, that was that was something that I definitely did. And I think, yeah, that was my senior year, I oh, believe. Cool. So uh, that would have been about right. Well, I always thought that right, was so, really cool. That. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we could probably talk for a long time about old times, but um, <laughs> trying to get <laughs> back to the topic uh, of today, which is basically COVID-19 and local government. Mm -hmm. Now, before we kind of dive into a discussion here, what I thought I would do is first kind of lay out a foundation. Uh, And we Mm -hmm. give some different examples of state and local governments around the country and their response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Does that sound good to you? That sounds good. That sounds cool. All right. So we're going to start off with Los Angeles, California. I figured since it has been in the news a lot, and it also is the second largest city in the United States, um, so we're going to, I'm going to throw out a timeline here, just kind of the things that occurred, and then I'm going to go on to some other cities and states. So we'll start off with Los Angeles here. So on March 13th of this year, uh, which is kind of the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic kind of coming to the forefront. Um, this is, this happened a few days after the first death of COVID-19, uh, from COVID-19 in Los Angeles, uh, the local school board, the school board, local school board announced its decision to close local schools, uh, indefinitely. On March 16th, 
A couple days later, Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, ordered all bars, gyms, restaurants, and other businesses to be closed until further notice by executive order. And the county followed suit next day. Uh, and then on a few days later, there was a entire, you know, stay at home order that was put in place by Governor Newsom. So <laughs> really quickly, and you know, within seven days, they went from uh, no restrictions to full on lockdown. Uh, yeah. Second example is Miami, Florida. This on March 16th, uh, food services, movie theaters, and other entertainment was ordered to be closed uh, between the times of 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. Okay. Uh, the next next day, food services, movie theaters, etc., uh, were required to remain open for to go carry out and drive through. Uh, so they couldn't close down indefinitely, but they had to close down their in. They're inside the, the sit down, I guess you could say. The next day, gatherings in 10 or more people in any park, beaches, or any recreational facility was prohibited. The very next day, all parks, beaches, and recreation facilities were closed. Uh, all non essential retail and commercial establishments were ordered to close. And then two days later, all hotels, motels, short term vacation rentals, et cetera, were all closed. Uh, now, Fast forward to May 31st, I thought this was interesting. May 31st, so we're talking a couple months later, all of those orders got canceled. Uh, so, you know, during this second spike that we've had, no of those orders went back into effect. So they only were in effect between March 16th and May 31st. So those are your two kind of examples of two different cities there. Uh, third example, we're going to move to a state, which is our home state of Alabama. Uh, on April 4th, so a little bit behind the curve of everything else, Governor Ivey uh, used her executive order powers to order the state of emergency and also issued a stay-at-home order until further notice. Uh, there were exceptions to this policy, of course, as we know, along, you know, essential workers continue to work as long as those safe practices were done, you know, grocery stores, food stores, stuff of that nature. April 30th, that stay-at-home order was lifted, allowing for more businesses to reopen and people to return to work in an amended fashion in what she called and what was termed actually in several other states as safer at home order. And then on July 15th, Governor Ivey has issued a mask mandate requiring any and all people to wear masks in public places where six or more feet cannot be maintained. Ten or more people are gathered outside and a few other exceptions uh, and stipulations. The fourth example mm -hmm. is South Dakota. The reason why I bring up yeah, South Dakota. Yeah, I remember when all that was going on too. For sure, yeah. The reason why I bring up South Dakota is because the governor of South Dakota kept getting thrown into the media's um, back tires of the bus, if you would, yeah. uh, for, for her quote-unquote <laughs> lack of action. Uh, so this, funny enough, on March 13th was the first uh, order that was done by Governor uh, Noam, I think is how you say it. Uh, so the same exact day as the order in Los Angeles and a couple of days before Miami and way before Alabama, the first mm -hmm. order was placed, but this order was a little different. So the governor ordered that all state employees, so only state employees uh, that can to work remotely instead of in office. So uh, if you were able to, as a state employee, you would now be required to work remotely. And all travel related to state business outside of the state was prohibited for state employees. 
Uh, Ten days later, March 23rd, the governor suspended suspended regulations on telemedicine to allow for more telemedicine, removed time frame limitations on medical assistance programs, suspended regulations on doctors from outside the state being able to practice within the state, and removed some regulations on overweight cardio, which I thought was a little interesting, but hmm. okay. Um, that is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she also stated that uh, businesses should, so it wasn't an order yet, should implement the CDC hygiene practices and suspend large gatherings indoors and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, on the 26th of March, the governor then came back and suspended uh, regulations on group home bed usage, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Uh, bedroom capacity in homes, the regulation, you know, restricting how many beds you can have in a home. Uh, requirements just for group homes or like every home? Every home. So, oh, wow. you know, the codes with, you know, when you're building a house or you're living yeah. in a house, there are going to be so many beds in each uh, room and so forth. Um, okay. Requirements for educators was uh some of those were suspended and she also allowed for the winter season petroleum to be sold which i didn't even know i didn't even know that was a thing i didn't know there was a winter season petroleum stockpile i guess that they have oh Uh, i guess that's uh south dakota yeah where it's a lot colder than alabama (laughs) yes very much so uh on april 6th so 10 days later uh, she then signed an order requiring all businesses to practice the CDC guidelines on hygiene, social distancing, um, suspension, modified business practice, any enclosed retail business that promotes public gatherings. She also required that those over the age of 65 to stay at home or if you are someone with underlying conditions to stay at home. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a modified stay at home order, but for 65 yeah. and older. Okay, that sounds reasonable. I mean... Right. So those are the kind of four examples. So you got two states and two local governments and their actions. And a lot of them are similar in nature. Obviously, Mm -hmm. there's some differences. uh, And I know it's a lot of information. No, it paints a very good picture, though. I mean, you did a good job. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) with that, though, I think it's important. You know, we throw out all the information all you want, but how effective was it? Right. Yeah. So whenever you're you know, developing a plan and executing it, one of the, the things you do is you supervise and refine, sorry, military language, supervise and refine the plan. And mm-hmm. so if we look back, we can kind of see how effective were these actions. Um, the reason why I chose Los Angeles uh, County versus Miami, Florida was because their population density was about the same. Um, important word there is Los Angeles County, not city. So the city itself is like four times larger uh, in population oh, okay. density than Miami, Florida. But the county, which is where all the statistics are going to come in, uh, was about the same. So, okay. Los Angeles County has a population density of 2,490 per square mile. Miami, Florida has 2,586, so really close. Okay, yeah. Los Angeles County had approximately 110 deaths per 100,000 people. Miami had approximately 50 deaths per 100,000 people. Hmm. The total cases in Los Angeles County was 44 cases per 1,000, and Miami was 60 cases per 1,000. So more cases in Miami per 1,000, but less deaths, and yeah. more, more deaths in Los Angeles County, but less cases per 1,000. So the two hmm. comparisons between Alabama and South Dakota. Alabama has 96.8 per square mile. South Dakota only has 11.3 per square oh, mile. Wow. I think that's important to note. That's a yeah. huge population density. Like that's 
it's like nobody, you know, that's the, you drive forever and you don't see anybody. Right. Uh, oh my goodness. Population density. And it's, it's so cold up there. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so cold and so flat. Um, yeah. So Alabama so far has had 29 deaths per hundred thousand people. Okay. And a total of 11 cases per a thousand people. South Dakota, 14 deaths per 100,000 people and nine cases per 1,000 people. So obviously wow. here we're seeing South Dakota has a lot less deaths and cases, but we also have to take, we also have to take into account population density, right? So there's a yeah. huge population density there. So hmm. based off these figures and what I've read in regards to the different states and stuff, do you think... That we there was effective measures that were done, or more effective measures that were done on a certain state or a certain city versus another city or another state. Well, I mean, I think that like I'm I'm thinking back over like all the information, and I mean like the amount of deaths are very similar in all of the cities. So it seems, I mean, it doesn't really matter what people are doing. It seems like. It, you know, it, it's pretty even across the board, I feel like. Right. So that's one of the things I've noticed, and I've gone outside of this, and I won't get into it, but I've started looking at other countries as well. This is, okay. you know, my personal knowledge, you know, I looked at like Sweden, for example, versus uh, the United States and like Stockholm versus LA. And I found a very interesting thing there. And of course, you know, there's been big thing in the news of how, you know, Sweden hasn't had a death in like three days or something like that. Or, yeah. Um, you know, and they're had a huge peak in April and, and then it dropped off to basically is nothing now. And what I found was it was basically the same, like the, the amount of cases and everything were basically the same. So you're getting the same type of infection rate between the two cities when you, uh, you know, corrected for population density, which I found was just fascinating. And you see right, that I mean here. With LA and Miami, totally, they had different responses, though they're similar in some natures. They had different responses. Like there was never a full lockdown that went into effect in Florida. Um, yeah. Mass mandates were not a thing in Florida, but they were in LA, but they still had the similar results. Right. And I mean, it seems like people used, I mean, common sense, like to the best of their ability, and they just kind of became a little bit more. I guess, like conscientious of what they were doing and not going out and not gathering. They, they took it seriously versus it freaking them out. And like everyone kind of like being, I guess, like shocked with it, you know? Right. So you're basically more of the, you know, people just realize, Hey, this is kind of a bad thing. We just need right. to be smart about this and, you know, whatever they felt was necessary to protect themselves and their family members. Yes, the should keep, you know, like that kind of thing. Like with, uh, you know, South Dakota, they should implement the hygiene practices. I mean, they should do that anyway. So I <laughs> yeah, feel so like. Funny you mentioned yeah. that. I was actually talking to a friend of mine this weekend and we were eating at a restaurant, right? So that's something you could do now, but you have to be social distance, you know, sitting at every other table kind of deal, wearing your mask when you're not eating and whatever. Um, right. And he mentioned, he was like, you know, there's one good thing that's come out of this i was like what he was like well they're actually doing more sanitation and cleaning in these restaurants and he yeah. says that's not a bad thing i was like you know that's really not a bad thing you know that's maybe something that'll carry on 
is not necessarily like the social distancing and, and that kind of stuff and masks and whatever, but like cleaning the tables better, making sure that bathrooms are kept nice and clean, making sure everything gets wiped down at the end of the day, you know, just better hygiene in general uh, could be That's beneficial. That's a great point. Kind of off, off the topic there, but just an interesting note that was made after what you just said there. Um, well, so, I mean, whenever we first went out the first time, you know, like you said, everyone's kind of going back out and, and you can do that now as long as you're creating, I guess, the the distance between you and other people and um, or at least people not in your group, you know. Well, the first time we went to go and, and pick up our order, I remember thinking, OK, this is a big deal. Where do where do we want to go and get food? And it was kind of like well, should we be getting food from like, I mean, not to bash any place. I'm not going to like name a name, but like drive through places, places that you normally like, if you're going to go out, let's make this a good trip. So uh, right. it can't be the drive through. It can't be. And then it kind of got me thinking, should we be going there anyway? Like, is that food even worth it? You know, it kind of made me think in like a long-term sense of we want it to be safe. We want it to be enjoyable and we want it to be worth it. Like, you know, and I think that's kind of made everyone across the board a little bit more conscious of not only their actions, but what they're going to consume, whether it's eating or buying or purchasing or whatever. For sure. And that's something even me and my wife had discussed, you know, when this kind of hit off and she got put on uh, telework from home and, you know, we were okay. like, hey, you know, a lot of these places were shutting down and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I lost my job in April and it was like a lot of stuff was oh, going on. We're like, what do we want to do, right? So what do we want to do in regards to, you know, where do we want to eat, where do we want to get groceries from, you know, and we obviously didn't want to go to Walmart because that was like yeah, just craziness there. So, you know, everyone was climbing over each other to get toilet paper. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So we like, we made the conscious decision to buy local and shop local and eat local. Uh, That's a good be point. Because we understood, you know, these mom and pops are going to be the ones struggling. The Walmart's not going to close, but the store yeah. down the street might close. Um, but all of that to be all that said, like, you know, people making those decisions on a daily basis and making their conscious decisions, all of this kind of got besides COVID-19. What, what I like to look at this entire situation as this was a, a global pandemic, whether you think it's a mm -hmm. severe one or not, there it was considered a pandemic yeah so governments reacted right so governments whether they had a plan or didn't have a plan they reacted and the eye of the media is on the the big government right the federal government mm -hmm. and that's of every country they're looking at the federal government what is the federal government going to do in response to this what is the president going to say what is congress going to do what i think gets overlooked a lot of the time, especially in election year, a presidential election year, is yeah. both state and local governments. Yeah. So, with the local and state governments, uh, do do you think? Let me ask you this question: Do you think local and state governments have the authority to lock down a state, uh, like to cause businesses to close, create curfews, and other actions? Do you think uh, they have that ability? Constitutionally, well, I mean, <laughs> constitutionally, a business is a business. And I think that it was wrong that they did that with that, like on such drastic measures. However, during a global pandemic, that is the time when I mean, we like, 
that there's no better time for a government to be a government, you know, like now's the time to show up if any, you know, like we don't want you there in any other case, except I feel like a global pandemic. And so with it being an election year and whatnot, it does kind of make it tricky. And I think that certain, in certain ways, this has been taken way too far, but in other ways, if there is any time, like, like you just repeated back, if there is any time for a government to show up and, and give power to local authorities, then a global pandemic is the, the time. And I think that having um, each state show that they're doing different things, but being conscious and in similar ways, but then also practicing it different ways does give a lot of information to the people. And it creates a lot of discussion like this one. For sure. It definitely creates a lot of discussion for hundred percent true on that one. Uh, yeah. there's all different types of ideas and fields of thought on this particular topic. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to kind of dive into, cause this is always, this has been a discussion amongst uh, people in my circles is the constitutionality of, uh, you know, these lockdown orders or mask mandates. Right. And, you know, the arguments often made is that, like you said, it's a global pandemic. If there's any time the government is supposed to kind of step up and make these types of orders and executive decisions is during a situation where we can't sit here and wait for Congress or the legislator to debate and argue about this for weeks on end until they finally make up a decision. In the meantime, yeah. people are dying, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where the different uh, acts or, or laws that were passed uh, in different states, and they, all states have them, as far as I understand. As far as I know, all states have these. Uh, it's basically like emergency powers acts, right? So these are okay, yeah. Uh, generally acts that were passed in the 50s, is what I found. Uh, Alabama's was passed in the 50s, and that gives the power to the state to declare a state of emergency and to take actions to protect this, the citizens of the state, right? Okay. And I, I want to dive into Alabama's real fast because it's – it's similar to a lot of different states. Of course, every state's different. They all, they, they're all different in the way they word things and how they, they put stuff out there. And yeah. different states, because of that, are having some court battles right now. So mm -hmm. Alabama Code 31-9-8, Section 5, okay. <laughs> gives the governor the ability to, quote, to perform and exercise such other functions, powers, and duties as are necessary to promote and secure the safety and protection of the civilian population, end quote. Okay. So this has been exercised numerous, numerous, numerous times. We're talking everything from the tornado in, in Tuscaloosa yeah. back in, I think, 2010, uh, to hurricanes. Every hurricane to, season. <laughs> yes, right? So this is put into action all the time, but we never see it on the scale we've seen it now. Right, okay, yeah. entire state being affected by these orders. Generally, it's like regional, like this region. You know, generally right. some type of generally it's some type of supportive way. We're saying this is we're gonna you know move this fuel down to here to you know allow people to fill up their cars to get out of Mobile. Right when the hurricanes come barreling yeah. down on it, um, or something of kind that of like nature. Like a county by county basis type thing. Right, and I could get into the whole 
how it actually works because I've been on orders since co- since April for the COVID nineteen pandemic, and I've learned all about how this stuff works. Um, <laughs> but the reason I wanted to bring that particular code up is because this is where I start to get kind of concerned. Okay. Um, is the wording of these types of of legislation that's been passed right, and it kind of lets the governor do whatever he or she wishes. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't, it's not limiting. It just says perform and exercise such other functions, powers, and duties as are necessary to promote and secure the safety and protection of the civilian yeah, population. It's very broad. Very broad can be interpreted in a hundred thousand different ways. And I, there's, there's a plus and minus to this, right? In my opinion. Plus is mm-hmm. it allows the governor to react to a bazillion different situations. Right. right? It's, it's a pandemic, whether it's a foreign invasion, a hurricane, earthquake, tornado, flood, you know, whatever it is. Right. The, my, my biggest issue with these types of legislation is it's too broad in the way it was passed. Yeah. So my understanding of the constitutionality power, and I'm not a lawyer, so here's a, uh, whatever you call it, a disclaimer. Layman's term? Or yeah, well, there's a disclaimer. Okay. I'm not a lawyer. My understanding is the power of the government comes to the, to the people, uh, comes to the government by the people. Yeah. And those, you know, things that give the government more power is done through constitutional amendments. Right. Because if it's not listed as, because the way, the way I look at it is constitution limits government, right? It says the government shall not do this, 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 and this. Yes. It shall do this, this, and this, and it shall not do this, this, and this. And in this case, it's giving it, giving the government governor, the ability to do things. Yes. Unlimited things. It yeah. basically allows the governor to enact laws, create laws, push laws, pass laws, um, edicts, whatever you want to call them. Huh. Uh, I see. For, no, like, yeah, that's a great point. For whatever they want. And this could be a legitimate legislation. It could be a legitimate, uh, you know, something that was done that could be, you know, 100% legal, right? Wouldn't violate the Constitution at all. But this is where it kind of gets a little murky. Okay, so or, yeah, so the Alabama Code thirty one nine eight goes under Emergency Management Act. Emergency Management Act was proposed in the legislature, was passed by the legislature. But you know what? Okay. It wasn't done. It's not a constitutional amendment. Okay, it does not amend the U.S. Con- the Alabama Constitution. It was right. not voted on by the people. Hmm. Okay. So here you have an act, specifically sub, you know, thirty nine. Uh, 319A sub sub whatever five. Yeah. That gives the governor basically unlimited power. But it's still limited. It was not limited. Because it because it wasn't voted on by the people, right? Okay. So it's not limited according to what it just says. I mean, the, the code says basically they can do whatever they want. But it wasn't passed. It wasn't passed by the people. The people didn't approve it. The legislative body did. Okay. So my biggest question, and is that legal, right? I'm not, a, obviously I'm not a lawyer, but if we're looking I mean, at, 
Yeah. And in the past, we haven't really looked into it that much because it hasn't been that big of an issue. Yeah. But now, as we're sitting these kind of restrictions on freedoms and, and things occurring, I mean, you even had people like in New Orleans, for example, the mayor restricted saying you couldn't have a firearm. Yeah, that was terrible. Right. And so and that directly violates both the U.S. and their state constitution. So you're looking at things that are directly violating or could be potentially violating constitutional freedoms and, and liberties guaranteed by the U.S. and, and state constitutions. And that's, yeah, it gets into a slippery slope. Go ahead. Right, sorry. Their, their, their source of power is these acts and that's what they're justifying saying hey well it's legal because i was given the power in this bill that was passed right yeah i don't think that's legal so i think that go ahead i was just saying so that's kind of the where i'm kind of sitting is we're looking at acts that were passed by the legislator but weren't the power wasn't given to the government by the people like the people didn't vote on that Right. Yeah. I mean, it clearly states what you said. It gives the governor the ability to perform and exercise such other functions, powers, and duties that as are necessary to promote the, and secure the safety and protection of the civil population. But I mean, and like, I think how you pointed out, that has been uh, a place into effect, you know, numerous times because of weather things that we couldn't control. And technically we cannot control this virus, but there's been so many different speculations that I think that bringing it up and saying, Hey, um, Hey, you, you know, exactly what you're doing. Hey, um, it's important for us to take a look at this because if this is what they're trying to do, and this is kind of what it is, looking like that's the picture that I'm seeing. Um, this isn't, you know, we need to either vote on this and make this in an amendment or whatever, which we definitely don't want that to become a case because as anyone can see, this gives a lot of power to people that makes all the other amendments basically completely obsolete. And, you know, Obviously, this is an extreme case, but is this an extreme case because this is out of our control and we're reacting to it? And if that's the case, then we definitely need to be voting on some stuff because that's what government was created for. (laughs) Or if it's not the case, then we need to address the fact that this might be some backdoor, you know, I mean, I'm... I'm with you. It's like, I have different speculations and you can call me super paranoid or you can say, Hey, I'm glad someone decided to to question it. And, uh, if this is some kind of backdoor way to grant power to the local governments, and then the federal government can definitely have all the power, then we need to talk about that. (laughs) So that's how I feel about it. Right. For sure. And so, like I said, that's my biggest concern of this entire situation, right? I think local governments, state and local governments should be the ones taking the lead, which they have. And you saw that the federal government kind of said, hey, here's the information. Here's supplies that we can give you. It's up to you to manage your states. And some people don't like that. Right. I tend to like that because that's how the Constitution was formed and how the founders saw it happening. But what I've seen, and it's whether it's in California, New York, uh, Florida, here in Alabama, we see governors signing executive orders 
which are laws. Yeah. And then they cite state of emergency, right? State of emergency gives us these authorities. And these codes, these acts do give them that authority. The question is, where's that authority ultimately come from? The people. So shouldn't this be have been voted on by, voted the, on people? by the people? It reminds and me a in, lot of uh, 2001 with the, the Patriot Act. Right, for sure. Yeah, it gave you know the federal government a lot of power to, uh, you know, Fourth Amendment, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. s- listening on to people that they quote unquote say or t- could potentially be terrorists or whatever. And yeah, so there's a lot of questions I think this kind of brings up and something that I think discussion needs to happen, right? Mm-hmm. I think the legislators, the people of every state, this has happened in, they need to go and look at their own codes and see if there, there's these codes in here that, you know, that basically open up the door right. for government abuse. I mean, it really does, right? It legalizes government abuse, even though it wasn't voted on by the people. Didn't yeah. give the power to them. And the second cons- big concern I have is... Even even this gives you know the government power or whatever so forth, but what's it's limited in this in the fact that it's the quote unquote during a state of emergency, right? Right. I don't have this listed in the notes, but one of the things that I found earlier on in this section, and that's one of the things that I did, you know, whenever people start talking about states of emergencies, start throwing out their opinions on things of legality, where I'm like, well, hold up, let's go read the actual. Let's go read the actual constitution. Let's go read the code and see what it actually says, right? And I'm glad, yeah. What I found was, you know, the governor can declare a state of emergency. And then the governor declares when it's over. Okay. The legislator can also declare a state of emergency. Oh. So what we're seeing here is the governor can <laughs> declare a certain <laughs> situation that gives the governor unlimited power. Wow. So thankfully in Alabama, we don't have a, you know, someone that just craves power and just wants to take over. But theoretically, you have a situation where the governor could say, you know what? State of emergency because this bad flu season. Yeah. I'm not saying COVID-19. I'm just throwing out situations. Right. Yeah. And hypothetical. Oh, my goodness. And then through this act that's already there, says, okay, and now because of this, I'm suspending the ability for the legislator to end this because I have the ability to do it. And the legislator is incapable of making decisions right now based on blah, 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 blah. Like whatever excuse you want. And now the governor is basically a dictator (laughs) of the state. This reminds me of a bad game of Uno where it's like skip card, you know, and it's like, it's all, you know what I'm talking about where you're playing right. with a bunch of people and yeah, here I'm going to like cancel this and then here's my last card. Boom. And now I'm out. What? That's crazy. I did not know that. And that's insane because what if there's also like, what if there's two different states of emergencies happening at the same time and they're both completely different, but they take away different things like that would be terrible. I'm just thinking in another terrible hypothetical, but um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Like that's, I mean, that's concerning for sure. Right. And so kind of a question here, you know, do you think, for example, the Alabama code 31 dash nine dash eight subparagraph five, do you think that should be removed or just potentially amended to maybe restrict the powers of the government? 
Well, dang. Okay. I think that it's definitely, hmm, it should be amended in my opinion, but at the same time, it's only because we don't know like what else is going to happen. It's, I mean, the whole reason it's put there, I feel like to begin with is because we, in Alabama's case, we have the longest, most complex constitution it's just ever. very true and they don't want to like over change 900 anything. amendments i think yeah and anyways so i mean i feel like this is a good time to bring it up i mean in our case this would be a great time to really talk about the whole thing or at least say hey look at what happens when you put off amending different things because this could be taken completely out of context in which our case we didn't we didn't realize this pandemic, if it's even anything to be like, take seriously, which if everyone in the whole world's reacting, it is. So I think that it gives, it gives the government governor the ability to exercise this at this time, but we have to be very specific and there should be like a sub, you know, we should amend it to say in the case of sickness, in the case of weather, in the case of, you know, and say, okay, that's what it's amended to. In this case, they can declare whatever, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to go into too much hypothetical land, right. but um, I definitely think that we should bring it to the attention of the people and this should be definitely voted on and it should be amended for sure. So I think another, whether you amend it to, you know, go into more specifics of, you know, this is when you can or cannot, you know, enact whatever, whatever you could do that. But then you're running into the issue of, you know, why was this put in there in the first place? Like you mentioned, the reason it was put in there in the first place was the kind of a catch all of we don't really know what the future holds. Right. Right. The comet could come down and just smash the Capitol. Exactly. We, we all know. Yeah. And so you want to give some type of legal authority for the government to enact during, you know, states of emergency. Well, there's twofold things I see with that. One, there is still constitutionally the ability for the executive to declare martial law. Yeah. And it's, it's a scary word, I know. But if it's in the point where you have to basically take over the state because there's you're incapable, there's you're not capable of any other type of form of government. I mean, we're talking, you know, China's invaded or you know, like I said, the capital has been destroyed. I mean, something yeah. that's just crazy, right? That the you, both the federal and the state constitution give the ability for the executive to make that call, to step in yeah. and make that call. I think what's needed right here at this particular section, first off, it needs to be voted on by the people because it does give power to the government that they previously did not have. And two, I think it needs to stipulate that the legislator, you know, first of all, can't be suspended. Um, and can recall or remove, you know, the right of the governor to perform these actions. And that yeah, kind of gives that check and balance, right, that exactly. we're looking for. So I think yeah. maybe something along those lines might be something we want to shoot for. Um, no, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, any, I should have mentioned it too, anything that cancels out the legislation should be revised. <laughs> and I think that bringing that back in there would give that situational kind of aspect of it, like of it back in there, that freedom to kind of act when necessary. But, um, but yeah, I agree with that. Now, of course, we're talking about the Alabama 
code and, and everything. Yeah. And like I mentioned, there are other states have their own versions, and I didn't go into great detail in other states because that would have been we would be here for five hours. Uh, yeah, longer <laughs> discussing than that. All the different states, uh, you know, ability to respond to emergencies and everything. And, you know, previously, and this pandemic has really kind of, I think, opened the eyes of a lot of people on mm-hmm. what the government can and cannot do. Uh, you know, my so local too. government threw out a curfew, right? Yeah. Mm. You know, couldn't be yeah, out 11 here between. Thing. Well, it was 10 p.m. for me. So it was like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. You couldn't be out. I'm sitting here going, so COVID-19 only works at night, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it sleeps when we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's some things don't make sense, right? But that's something that, you know, we the people can work on and whether we think someone should be removed from office or whatever, you know, that's in there. Yeah. But I think this has kind of maybe opened the eyes of some people on what the local governments can and cannot do, what the federal government is supposed to do during a situation like this, which I think remarkably, you know, you say what you want about, you know, certain people in federal government, but remarkably they actually have done pretty much exactly what the founders kind of envisioned the federal government to do during a situation like this. Oh, I think that in, I think that overall this thing was something that, will be good long term but right now and it has been this whole year something that has kind of created a lot of chaos and i think that's talking like really 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 nicely about it but um i think overall (laughs) i mean you know because i mean it has created a lot of chaos but i think overall it has i think you're completely right it has um made a lot of people question things it's brought a lot to the surface it's and I mean that like with the government, I mean that in our personal lives, I mean that with like what we were talking about earlier with where we're going to go to eat and where we're going to spend our money and things like that. So I think overall, it will be something that we grow from as a country and as a world, but it does um, require some work right now. And I think cleaning up certain you know, amending certain things and, and cleaning up certain constitutions and kind of stepping up in that sense is something that we're going to have to do from this point on. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a great, great way to kind of wrap it up. Uh, I, I do, I do think that kind of, you know, sums up the entire aspect of this local state governments. And I, I won't say that people are waking up to go government overreach, right? I'm not going to say yeah. that, but I will say that people are waking up to realizing how much power the government does have on yeah. their individual lives, what power they have given the governments to do. And yeah. maybe something they want to think about and maybe take back some of that power if they want, you know. Exactly. And, and get involved if they can. <laughs> and, right. And um, yeah. And what jobs during, are available and stuff like that. For sure. And especially during an election year, you know, the federal government gets a lot of focus right? The president election is like the Super Bowl of <laughs> politics. Yeah. But I think a lot of times the local governments get overlooked, the state governments get overlooked, and we don't realize how much power they actually have and how important it is to have true representatives in these positions. You know, don't just go to a, a voting box and just check the block for a Republican or just check the block for a Democrat. Yeah. Know the people that are running, know what they actually believe and what they actually stand for. That way you can make a, you know, a smart decision in the ballot box and what you believe should be the role of government. And I'm hoping that this 
kind of, like we said, kind of makes people kind of wake up and, and think about maybe, maybe I should do a little bit more research before I go and vote. You know, maybe I should care about who my state electors are. You know, right. we don't talk about them at all, but they're voted on. And especially they're more with the accessible news. now than ever, too. Right. I mean, social media has opened up the ability for, you know, people are being representative to talk to the representatives. So yeah. I hope that this kind of makes people think that way. Aren't we so lucky too that when this did happen, we have social media? Like, I mean, how I feel like we, it kind of goes unnoted that we have social media so we can still connect via zoom or talking on this podcast and via Facebook and things like that. Can you imagine how bored and how, how corrupt things would be if, if they, if this was happening and we didn't have access to the internet? Absolutely. I mean, you could go back actually in history and you can see that, you know, yeah. where communication was not as fast or, you know, easy and accessible oh, yeah. to people. Of course, now you're starting to get to the, the aspect of maybe it's too much, <laughs> but it's a whole different yeah. topic than a whole nother podcast. Totally um, different topic. You're right. Yeah. I just think it's good that, you know, to point out that these things do happen. Pandemics, you know, chaos, not hopefully not, but, you know, um, pandemics, hurricanes, weather, things happen. And it's nice to appreciate the ability to talk about it and then also to make amendments when they're necessary and to clean up house if we can. And um, I think that I think that we can get through this if we can get through if we can get it through it without the internet, we can get through it now. <laughs> Absolutely. And we have, I mean, yeah. we have gotten through it without it. So we can exactly. get through it for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on the show. I hope everyone enjoyed, enjoyed the it. conversation. Uh, uh, you know, maybe one day I'll join yours. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> your podcast is a little <laughs> different than mine. Um, but that, if you would uh, go ahead. These are good topics to discuss no matter, you know, no matter what your background in podcasting is. So I'm glad that you had me on. Thank you so much, Micah. Absolutely. If you go ahead and you can plug out your show and, and your Twitter handler or whatever you want. Okay. So I am the host of the Contagious Victories podcast, and that's available on Spotify and uh, iTunes, wherever you podcast, it's there. And then you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at once upon a underscore Tory. All right. Or well, you thank can find you. me on ToriBlackman.com. Sorry, I always forget that I have a website. Yeah. So, ToriBlackman.com <laughs> too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. Thanks for stopping by. And thank uh, you. I'm, sh I'm sure we'll have you on another time to discuss who knows what. I've enjoyed your other podcast. So um, it's been nice to be a part of the discussion. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between Victoria and me. If you'd like to find out more about Victoria's podcast, head on over to themicamessershow.com and find the episode notes. Links to her show and social media will be there for you all. Thanks for listening to The Micah Messer Show, the show all about politics and technology. If you like the show, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Also, don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time right here on The Micah Messer Show.